15. And we'll be looking at the entire psalm, verses 1 through 14 this morning. Just to make you aware of uh, some things that are coming up in the future, um, Lord willing, we'll just have, following today, two more weeks in the psalms. Uh, and then I will be away for two Sundays, and then when I return uh, at the end of June, we will do, uh, begin our study in the Gospel of Mark for the summer, because we will have our young people upstairs with us. I will be, uh, a letter will be coming out outlining what to expect this summer to help you as a family do Bible reading in preparation each week. Uh, for the Sunday's sermon, and so that'll make a little more sense when you see the letter, but I want you to be looking for that, and I share that with you because uh, our psalm this morning, Psalm 19, deals with the importance of the Word of God. I think probably uh, on a personal level, and perhaps I, I may speak for some of you that uh, one of the biggest struggles when life gets busy or when challenges arise is to allow our daily time in God's Word to suffer. Uh, de developing a, a daily devotional life can, can be a challenge in and of itself, but as pressures build in and responsibilities come, we we tend to want to maybe sleep a little later, and, oh, I'll read it later, or over lunch, and there always seems to be something that comes up and, and begins to crowd out uh, our time in God's Word. And it, it, it's sad, it, it, it's, but it's true. And again, I, I say that as a fellow struggler in this walk of life, it's not by way of condemnation, but I believe as we look at Psalm 19, we are exposed to, yet again, to the glory and the reality of God's Word and, and how important it is in the life of a Christian. And so uh, that, coupled with some of the things that we've been covering in Sunday school, uh, over the last three weeks we've looked at uh, ways to, to better study our Bibles. This morning was a, a great lesson on uh, how to establish a family worship time. Uh, next week, uh, Tim Schwarn will be focusing on ways that you can uh, cultivate your own personal study time. Uh, I, I believe it's providential that we are, are, are at this passage on this day in light of the things that we've been learning uh, in Sunday school, but also in light of, of the reality that it is often very tempting when Things are tough to, to that, let that be the one thing that slides. And, and it's my prayer this morning, not just for myself, but for all of us, that as we look at Psalm 19, that we will do so uh, with new eyes and, and with a greater desire to truly hide this treasure of God's Word in our hearts uh, to, to, to serve as the, the fuel and the, and the armor and the, the, the motivation that we need to continue to press on as we face the trials that each one of us invariably will face in this life. So uh, I pray that we will listen with those words. Let me read the passage and then I'll pray and then we're going to jump right in to point one. Psalm 19 beginning at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, 
enlightening the eyes. The, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. we look at Psalm 19 this morning, we're going to do so under, under three headings. And uh, perhaps you've noticed in the bulletin that the title of this message is Behold Your God. Now, I've, I've shared with you in the past the, 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 the loose quote of Calvin that, 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 that the, 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 the key to, to, to growth and making sense of the Christian life is, is to first to, to see God as He is. To, to understand him rightly leads to our understanding ourselves rightly as well. As we see him as he is, we, 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 we understand how we ought to respond. We, we sang that song, Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come let us adore him. In Psalm 19, David paints a picture of God as he reveals himself First of all, in creation, then in his word, and then even in our response to his word, as he is. We, we, we want to see him as he is and, and to glorify him and to glory in him. As we cover this psalm this morning, is really under three headings. We want to first behold our God through what he has made. Secondly, through, through what he has revealed about himself. And then finally, through our response to what he has revealed. This is our great calling as followers of Christ, brothers and sisters. To know him and then to make him known. So let's first look at, at verses 1 through 6. Beholding our God in what he has made. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now we see that Psalm, 1, Psalm 19 begins with a celebration of God's glory as it's been revealed in creation. David's focus in these verses is on how, we, how what we see in the sky and in space is an expression of God's greatness. Now hopefully each one of us has, has seen a sunrise or a sunset that has left us in awe of God. He's the one who created it, after all. Or, or perhaps you, you've looked up at the night sky and been blown away by the beauty of the moon or, or, or the vast number of stars that you see in the sky. Brothers and sisters, when we take time to, to look up or even at times around us and actually see what God has made, 
we get a taste of the beauty and the wisdom of God by observing the work of His hands. This should lead us to a greater sense of reverence. It should enhance our worship of God. When we see a beautiful painting or a work of art, what do we do? Well, first, we're often in awe of what we see, or maybe we're moved by it. But at some point, our thought typically goes to the artist, does it not? Wow, what, what talent it took to, to, to capture the, the, the realistic nature of, uh, of that scene, that sunset of the painting or that portrait that's been done. Or, or wow, look at, the, look at the details on that sculpture. It looks just like him. What, what talent, what, what time must it have taken for, for that person to, to take time to, to, to form that out of whatever medium he or she used? The, that image on the canvas didn't paint itself. Nor did the, the sculpture form itself out of clay. It was designed. It was created. As we read Scripture, we find numerous references throughout the Bible that call us to, to, to praise the God whose glory is revealed through what He's made. We, we see that. Psalm 50 verse 6 tells us that the heavens declare God's righteousness. Psalm 89 and Colossians 1 reminds us that, that everything in the heavens and on earth were created by God and they exist for God's glory. Psalm 104 reminds us that nature and all that is in it is totally dependent on its creator. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that Jesus upholds or sustains the universe by the word of his power. What has been made reveals much about the maker. We, we could go on and on from, from Genesis to Revelation and God makes it clear that he is the creator and the sustainer of all he has made. So on the flip side of that, it makes perfect sense then that, 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 that our enemy, the adversary, the evil one, would make a full assault in seeking to, to undermine the authority of God in his claim that he is the creator of all. If doubt could be cast on God's work as creator, then it would not be long before Everything else that God says about himself is brought into question as well. We're living that, brothers and sisters. We see this today in the debate between creationary and evolutionary science. But this has really always been the case. The natural, unredeemed mind is hostile to the things of God. Now, as I was talking about scripture that references God and creation... Undoubtedly, there were some of you in here thinking, oh, he's going to read Romans 1. Well, you're right. I'm going to read Romans 1 right now. Paul is writing about why, why God is going to judge the world. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
So, so one of the reasons that, that God's wrath is being poured out on earth is because in our unrighteousness, mankind ha- has failed to notice. I really, notice is not strong enough word if we believe Romans 1. Every unredeemed person has chosen to deny, to suppress what God ultimately has made obvious to every person who has lived long enough to understand the difference between day and night. Back to Psalm 19. That the universe has order. The universe has designed, and behind that order and design is a glorious and benevolent creator who cares for his creation. Romans 1 teaches that that this is not something that happens in ignorance. No, this is an active suppression by those who do not know God. I really think that the Apostle Paul had Psalm 19 in view when he penned the words of Romans chapter 1. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, David proclaims that that there is an aspect of God's glory that is available for all to experience simply by opening their eyes and looking around. In these verses, David teaches us many things. And in verses 1 and 2, he teaches us that this revelation of God's glory is something that is ongoing. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So David's saying, God's glory on display is not a one-time event. It it happens every day and every night. It's happening right now. It will be happening an hour from now, a minute from now, a second from now. There it goes again. With the rising of the sun, we're reminded that God is still in control. He still shows mercy. He is worthy of our trust. As the day ticks past, God is still God, sustaining all that he has made. As we lay our heads down to rest at night, We are exhausted, but God is not. He is all-powerful. An honest assessment of the scientific data reveals the wisdom and exact nature of God's hand in sustaining His creation. Earth's orbit around the sun and the sun's place in the solar system are precise and can be tracked and predicted with accuracy because God is a God of order. It reveals His wisdom. It's ongoing. It it never stops. Even now as this earth turns, even now as you sit there, God's glory is revealed in what He has made. In verses 3 and 4, we we see that the revelation of God's glory is not just ongoing, it is also all-encompassing. David writes, There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their, Their voice goes through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. David's saying that there is absolutely no place on this planet we call earth that is exempt from this display of God's glory. Even though the sun and the stars don't use actual words, they have plenty to say about God. And they speak consistently to the entire world. Whether it be in Marietta, Pennsylvania, where it feels like we haven't seen the sun consistently for a month, 
or in Barrow, Alaska, where from mid-November to to mid-January there are 67 days of darkness, and in the summer, 80 days of uninterrupted daylight. Can you imagine living there? No matter where you are, whether we have 24 hours or 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness or or, or 80 days of light or 67 days of darkness, God's glory is on display. We experience those days differently, but both display His glory. Through it all, the voice of creation sings of God's glory and excellence. In verses 5 and 6, David is using the example of the sun whose course dominates the daytime sky to reveal that that all experience this aspect of creation. Now, we know this is poetry. We, we, We know that it's the rotation of the earth that gives the appearance that the sun is crossing the sky. But we understand this imagery because we use the same language. If you go to weather.com to to, to figure out what it's supposed to do tomorrow, it's going to tell you at a a certain hour what time sunrise is. Well, did the sun really rise? Well, no, the earth is turning. But we we understand that imagery. The, the, The picture is clear. God's glory is revealed to all because all experience it. Without the heat of the sun, even in the wintertime, especially in the wintertime, Life on this earth would not exist. The the sun running its course with joy reminds us of God's glorious care for his creation. Brothers and sisters, nature reveals much about God's glory, but there is also much that nature cannot reveal about God. God's work in creation is what we would call a a general revelation. We look up, we see, we understand that things like this just don't happen by accident. Just as looking at at the beautiful painting or the sculpture screams that there's an artist behind it, so too does our universe. So too does all creation. To, to deny that is, it would be to, to, to say that the Mona Lisa painted herself. You would have a, a greater probability of, of taking a, a fancy watch and taking every piece of it apart and sticking it in a Ziploc bag and shaking it hoping that it would put itself back together again, it would be more likely for that to happen than the complexity that makes up this universe would have happened randomly. It simply does not happen. It screams of a design. From from the most microscopic atom to to, to the universe itself, to, to the sun, the moon, and the stars, there is order, there is design, there is God. But that does not tell us all there is to know about God. Thankfully, God did not stop with general revelation. He's also given us what we would call a special revelation that we find in his word. This is where he reveals specific things about himself that we could not know about him or without his word. Now, we've considered the importance of beholding our God in what he has made let us now do so through what he has said, verses 1 through, or 7 through 9. David writes, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. John MacArthur refers to Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14 as Psalm 119, 119, you guys know that one, the longest one, in miniature. 
It's like David's trying to, to, saw, to sum up everything that you, you find there in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is 176 verses divided into 22 sections, each of which focus on the importance of God's word in the life of God's servant. In Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9, David uses six parallel statements to describe God's word and its benefit for those who submit themselves to it. We've often used that, that image of the diamond to, to describe the gospel. It's, it's like a, a, a valuable diamond that we hold up to the light to see the, the different facets of it. You, you turn it this way and the, and the light refracts, refracts a little bit differently so the color is different. And so we, we twist it to see another angle. Oh, that's, that's another color. That's, that's kind of what David is doing here as he talks about God's word. David rotates this diamond of God's word to to allow us to see more fully the treasure that God's word is for his people. As we read these parallels, we also get a a fuller sense of the proper response to the treasure we've received in God's word. And brothers and sisters, as I mentioned to begin with, as we look at these verses... I believe it is imperative that each Christian in this room, with God's help, seek to adopt this perspective on God's Word. It is that important for us if we are to live faithfully in this fallen world. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, the, the Hebrew word that's translated law is Torah. Torah basically means instruction, and, and it's used comprehensively in Scripture, much in the same way that we use the word Scripture or God's Word to talk about the Bible. The, the, the rest of the words that we see used here in, in these verses, are, use, are they, they basically give us a, a fuller picture of what David means when he talks about the law of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. They, they flesh that out for us, if you will. God's instruction, God's law is perfect. Perfect in, in this sense emphasizes that there is nothing lacking in God's instruction. It is complete. It is sufficient for his followers. And this is why David can make the parallel statement that, that the law of the Lord revives the soul. Now, brothers and sisters, we know that the, the Bible doesn't tell us everything that there is to know about God, but it does reveal everything that we need to know about Him in this life. The, the Bible instructs us concerning the seriousness of sin and the way of salvation. It teaches us about God. It teaches us what God loves and and, and therefore what we should love. It teaches us what kind of people we ought to be as God's followers. It, It promises us greater things in eternity. And most importantly, it reveals to us the character and the nature of the God who saves us and much, much more. We're reminded in in 2 Timothy 3.16 that that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's instruction revives our souls. It revives our souls because it comes from God. It shows us the way to be restored to God. It protects us and it guides us as we submit to it in this life. That is a a revived soul, brothers and sisters. God's instruction revives. God's instruction gives life. God's instruction teaches us how we ought to live David continues, the the testimony of the Lord is sure. And and this word testimony is is a reference to to those things that God reveals about himself in his word. 
In the first half of the psalm, David marvels at, at how the, the heavens speak of God's glory. In verse 9, he's, he's glorying in the fact that, that God has chosen to speak for himself as well. This is the, 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 the beauty of the Bible, church. We can know what God is like because God is the one who has testified about himself in it. That, that word sure in verse 9, it means reliable. God's word is a, is a firm, reliable foundation on which we can and we must build our lives and our faith. God's word is reliable and the result is wisdom even for the most simple of people. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The, the Hebrew word translated simple is, is, is basically used to describe someone who is young or a, or a naive person, someone who lacks understanding. Now let's be honest, dear ones. In our youth, we, we tended to think that we knew everything there was to know, did we not? Well, what does mom and dad have to teach me, right? But what happens as we grow older? We look back and we're almost embarrassed by the arrogance that we showed. True wisdom comes as we, as we grow and come to understand, wait a minute, you know what? I thought I knew everything. I knew nothing. Still feel like I know nothing sometimes. Which is why we go back to the Word. We seek wisdom where it may be found. God's word, when we receive it in humility, can make the most naive person wise in terms of how to live faithfully in this fallen world. Proverbs 1.7 reminds us that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom comes to those who revere God based on what he has revealed of himself and his word. Verse 8, David continues, the, the precepts of the Lord are right. And then that next phrase, the, the commandment of the Lord is pure. A while back, as we were studying the Psalms, we talked about the, this idea of Hebrew parallelism. Do you remember that phrase? Here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 19, you, you have six of those parallels. Paul, or David makes a statement, he follows it up, then the very next line builds on that. It's building. Here we go. The precepts of the Lord are right. The, commandments of the, the commandment of the Lord is pure. The, the, these words, precepts and, and, and commandment, are, are closely related. They're, they're words that are used to describe the authority of God's instruction. When they're used in other places, it's in, it's in reference to government rule or, or a governor's rule over the, the land that he was in charge of. Precepts is also translated statutes. That's a, a legal term that we often see used in relation to, to government. So David's saying that, that God's commands aren't suggestions. They're, they're not given from a position of weakness, but they come from the position of the highest authority. God's commands and our failure to keep them obviously reveals our guilt and our need for a Savior. But brothers and sisters, our inability to, to, to fully keep God's commands does not lessen their authority in our lives. We, we would do well to remember this. There's a, there, there's a word that gets thrown around. They were just at a, at a conference that used this word that talked about the, the holiness of God's people. How we're both set apart by Christ for salvation but also how that being set apart results in a change in the way that we live. Our, our lives are, are changed as we submit to that word in dependence upon God's spirit to strengthen us to live in a way that reveals that we belong to him. Sin is still wrong, Christian, even though God has removed the guilt of your sin in Christ. We need to take sin seriously. David writes, the, the, the precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. Now, right in verse 9 could be seen almost as a construction term. It, it means level or straight. 
Now, we've had several men who, who've been doing some work over at the parsonage over the years, and, and they can all testify to, to what happens when you come into an old house where, where things are no longer straight. This is Lancaster County. Almost every house is old. Perhaps you, you live in one and you've wanted to, to replace a door, but the, the foundation has settled. And all of a sudden, rather than having a, a perfectly rectangle door, what are you having to do? You're having to, having to cut an angle in the bottom of that thing, right, to, 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 to make it open and close. Anybody got a house like that? It's not straight. It's not level. What happens when, 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 when a pea falls off the plate? Well, it rolls somewhere, right? Ralph was doing his, uh, his, his golf introduction, and I was thinking, wow, you know what? You should go over and putt in my house, because if you stand in one point, you, can, you could actually put the cup at an angle and, and actually play some break in that sucker. Now, don't get me wrong. We are thrilled. We, we love where we live. We love the house. We love ministering. But, but it's reality. It's a great illustration. It's a great illustration of what happens when, when things are no longer straight. You, if you wanted to do major work over there, you have to factor that in. It's not like that with God's Word. It's always straight. It's always level. It always points to the paths that we are to walk. It's always the foundation that we're to build our lives on. There's no cutting an angle in the door in God's economy. It teaches us what gives true joy and happiness. The, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The, the, the word that's translated pure means bright or, or radiant. God's word gives light in this dark world and, and enables us to see things as they truly are. Psalm 119, 105 probably is in some of your minds right now. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a, a light to my path. God's word not only exposes the darkness around us, but it can also purge the darkness that is within us as well, brothers and sisters. Enlightened eyes are able to see things as they truly are. Now, it's easier to, 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 to walk through your child's bedroom with the, with the light on rather than in darkness, is it not? You've all crept in for some reason at night. You step on the wrong toy and, and the squeaking noise could wake your child. You step on the Lego and the noise you make might wake your child. But light helps us avoid those things that would cause harm. Verse 9, the, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Now, given the context that each of these parallels are description for God's instruction, fear in verse 9 is probably being used also as a synonym for God's law. It's also a word that is descriptive of the reverence that we are to have for God's law, or that God's law produces in those who submit themselves to it. The, the reverence God's people have for him will be everlasting. We will be eternally blown away by the awesomeness of God. Let that sink in. There will never be a time when we finally look on Him with our eyes that we are bored with God. Okay. It's not like sitting in church where there are some Sundays where you, you feel like you're having to work harder to listen than others. Or are there something distracting you? In His presence, there are no distractions. Anything that God does, we'll be like, wow, did you see what God just did? Can you believe what God just said? How, how, how can we not long for that day? Every word that he utters will be received by his people with a sense of wonder. Let's continue. The, the, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, rules can be understood as, as judgments. God is the true and righteous judge who, who has never made a wrong judgment. What he, what he decides is good and right and true, always, every time. Now, we live in a world filled with injustice. Even sincere human judges and juries get it wrong sometimes. But this will never be the case with God's judgments. 
His judgments are, 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 are true. This means they are, are lasting and faithful. They're, they're righteous altogether. And that means that God's judgments, both in his word and the judgment that are, judgments that are yet to come, they're always just. What God calls sin in his word will always be sin. It doesn't change because the culture changes. What God deems as righteous in his word is always righteous, even if the world says otherwise. Dear ones, this is why it is so important that, that we truly seek to memorize God's word. We want, to, we want to hide his word in our heart so that when the, the trials do come or temptations do arise, there is something to draw from if our Bible's not right in front of us. Something to, to strengthen us and, and, and to enable us to, to stand firm even as we face trials. Hide God's word in your heart. It's unchanging. It's always level. It's always true. It's never going to leave you astray. Can you see the treasure that David sets before us in his description of God's word? In your laps or beside you on the chair is a treasure from God. Read that treasure. Feed upon that treasure. Memorize that treasure. Build your life on that treasure, dear ones. Because God is also seen in how his people respond to his word. Verses 10 through 14. Speaking of, of, of God's testimonies, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? De declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and, and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If we claim to be Christians, how we live matters. Yes, we are saved by God's kindness to us through, through the faithfulness of the sacrifice of Jesus to redeem us and to restore us to God. No, there is nothing that we can add to what Jesus has done for us. But the Bible is clear. A redeemed life is a transformed life. A saved life is a changed life. True salvation results in growth. Now, it takes time, it takes the work of God's Spirit, but it also takes prioritizing on our part. One of the things that we must prioritize is the role that God's Word plays in our lives. David emphasizes this in verses 10 through 14. First of all, we, we learn that God's Word must be valued. More, satis more desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Again, the Bible set before you is more valuable than gold. It's more precious than gold. It's, it's an internal, enduring treasure that will sustain you even when your bank account is empty. Why? Because it directs us back time and again to the greatest treasure we have received. Reconciliation to God through faith in Christ. Second, we learn that God's word is to be savored. David writes, sweeter also than, than, than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, by the looks of many of us, we like to eat, do we not? I like to eat. I like to eat a lot. Not just because I like a full stomach. I like to eat because I like the way things taste. Now, as you can imagine, things were probably slow here yesterday with all the rain in Marietta Day, right? Yeah, it was. We had more workers than we had customers, but we had a great time of fellowship. 
Now, we had borrowed a good-sized fryer to make fresh-cut fries for anybody who wanted to come to buy them, and they were delicious. But as the day went on, Wes, who is not just a good preacher, he also has great ideas, decided that we should do food experiments with the fryer. Let's, let, let's see what we can deep-fry and what tastes good. And so we had batter made up by Liz, and, and we went outside, and the first thing we wanted to do, we stuck a chocolate chip cookie in the batter. And you flip it over, and then you dump it in the hot oil. You guys have done this with cookies, I'm sure, before. And out came this, oh, this little piece of heaven. My joints ache so bad today because of the sugar that we ate yesterday. But we deep fried whoopie pies, win. Rice Krispie treats, getting better. Even Auntie Anne's pretzels, we, Auntie Anne's pretzels, we, we, we deep fried and ate those. Amazing. We, we decided we, we want to put a fryer in the church budget so we can do it next year too. It was sweet. It was yummy. We even did a hot dog. And try that one. <laughs> now, some of you are wishing you had came because of that yesterday, right? Everything tastes good deep fried. Now, taste is a sense that, that, that many people value. And David is using that image to illustrate the importance of God's Word. Even when what we find in God's Word stings us, we need to, 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 to savor it, to, to taste it, to, to, to meditate on it, to, to reflect upon it, because it leads us to the sweetness of repentance and reconciliation to God. Brothers and sisters, is this how we view our time in God's Word? Are, are we there to, to taste the goodness that we find, even to be challenged by the things that we don't fully understand? Do, do, we, de, do we desire the taste of God's truth with, with a greater passion than even deep-fried whoopie pies? In verses 11 through 13, we learn that God's Word must be heeded. Paul continues, moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who, who can discern his errors? De declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. God's word warns. It promises great reward. It reveals our errors and it leads to the forgiveness of our sins that we're not even aware of until we look to God's word. It's, it's like that mirror that, that, that reveals what needs to be dealt with about us. In short, God's word protects and it provides direction for the people who will heed it. The, these verses clearly reveal the importance of Scripture in our lives. If our lives. If our lives are to reveal the truth of God's grace and kindness, then they must, we must heed God's Word. These verses, 11 through 13, describe what we need on a daily basis. And then in verse 14, I'm closing with this. David concludes really with a prayer. He's, he's not just tagging a benediction, but in light of, of, of what he has written so far, God's glory revealed in what he's made, God's glory revealed in, in, in his word to his people, the response of his heart is this. Let the words of my mouth and, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is David's heart cry after beholding his God in creation and in his word and in understanding the importance of glorifying God and how he lives. How much different would my life look if this was the standard that I sought to live by? Lord, let, let the words in my mouth and, and the meditation in my heart, the things I think about, I chew on, I, I care about, let all these things be acceptable in your sight. 
Let me prioritize everything through that lens. Think about the, the, the pressure that David lived under as the king of Israel. He was the leader of an entire nation. He had people that wanted him dead. He, he had even a, a season of, of, of his own son seeking to, to, to usurp his throne. He had his own sins to deal with. He had enemies outside and within. But here in Psalm 19, when, when it comes down to it, he recognizes that, that who he was to live for was not for the approval of those whom he led or, or to win the favor of those who hated him, but to live in a way that brought honor and glory to God's name. And those other things fall where they may. I believe this is one of God's call on calls on modern Christianity, that we stop living for everything that the world lives for, that we stop judging our standing with God on whether or not our current circumstances are, are good or bad. That is so hard to do. When things are tough, when things are tough, we, we often think, well, God must be punishing me. God has punished his son for you. You've been redeemed. Whatever his purposes are in the trials of this life that we may never understand in this life, we have to stand on the fact that he is good. We have to cling to that even when, when the ship seems to be sinking around us. Understanding that in the end, what matters most is what God says about us. Dear ones, may David's prayer be our prayer this day and every day. That our words, that the things that we love, that our actions, that all those things would bring honor and glory to his name. Let us pray together. Lord, you know, you know the weakness of our flesh. You know, Lord, that we tend to forget by nature. Yet you loved us, you love us, you saved us, you redeemed us, you reconciled us. And in your word, you show us a better way. Lord, we thank you for your patience and your grace towards us, even as we walk this road of life. We ask for the help of your spirit and the guidance of your word as we seek to live lives that reflect to this lost and dying world that you indeed are the one true God. Make this the case in each one of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.